Before we get started, I want to take the opportunity to talk about our partner for this podcast, BravoPay. BravoPay is a marketplace and payment platform for musicians and content creators like streamers, sports influencers, personal trainers, and, well, podcasters. You can create a fan page on their app and set up shop offering physical and digital products as well as premium subscriptions. It's easy to share your Bravo link with others on your social media so that, for the rest of you, can support your favorite creators. Check it out at app.trybravo.com. I'll also leave a link in the description. You're listening to The 80-20 Show, an inside look into the music industry. Welcome everyone to The 80-20 Show. I am your host, Mike Zimmerlich, and my next guest is Mark Wen, founder of Planet LA Records. In this interview, we discuss how he went from a path to being a diplomat, focusing on political science and international relations, to shifting to a second career in the music industry. We trade war stories on touring with bands, tactics we both use in developing partnerships and endorsements, as well as logistics and strategy behind event planning. It is my honor and privilege to give you Mark Wen. Hey Mark, how are you doing today? Great. It's always good to talk with you, Mike. And yeah, and I can't believe it's June already. I guess it's June 1st, so summer is upon us. Summer is upon us on this recording. Uh, summer is definitely going to be upon us here. So yeah, it's amazing how much time has flown. I mean, I can ima- I remember when 2021 just turned the corner back in January, February. So it's amazing. We're already halfway through the year. Yeah, no, definitely. Especially in during the pandemic, I think all the days and months just flew by and but it seems like we're emerging from the worst of it and you know hopefully things will start to be more back to normal or the way we used to live and gather and and enjoy things like music now upon the time of this uh recording so this will be coming out probably uh probably been about a month or so so just in context this is still relatively fresh but i've noticed already that event uh physical events are coming back quite a bit in fact are you seeing the same thing yourself yeah yeah in general uh, there's lots of announcements about you know events festivals um whether summer or especially in the fall um and also you know i've heard from agents and managers they're booking their artists pretty heavily into 2022 um, because that's going to be a huge year for a lot of artists so yeah i agree uh, i think in general you know people's comfort level has gone up after being vaccinated and, you know, with the numbers going down. So it's hopeful. Absolutely. I'm really glad to see this and really glad that everyone's being responsible, at least from what I've seen in, in having these events and being still cautious and making sure that everyone is being safe and, and comfortable about it, but also to really trying to get the event industry back up and running again. Now, something that I've been predicting for a while, and I'm curious what your opinion is too, is that because now so many agents are booking their artists on these, especially tours or just in general, do you feel, especially for independent artists, is going to be a challenge finding uh, venues in general to perform at coming this fall and even through 2022? Um, I think, you know, there will be a more competition for, you know, venues, um, and just performance spaces in general. 
But I think the demand also will be high because a lot of people have not seen shows uh, in you know over a year. Not saying some people haven't done anything, you know, but just in general, the sort of concerts as we know it has been rare. So I think um, there will be more opportunities. You know, I think venues and spaces will be busier. And especially what we do, we tend to use alternate spaces. Um, so it's not just your traditional, you know, music venue bar or theater or, or however. So I think there'll be more of that where, you know, music's just going to be part of, of what we do, of, you know, of farmer's markets and food festivals and sporting events and whatever else. I think it's just a chance for people to enjoy uh, live music and to gather again. So I think if artists and managers and booking agents are smart about how they can incorporate their artists into these opportunities, I think there'll be lots of them. Absolutely. I do agree with you. I think the demand is definitely going to be an all-time high for sure. So, and I agree with you as well as finding alternative spaces. So sometimes, I mean, number one is I want to make sure that the venues are supported. So that's at least um, my opinion. But again, also event spaces in general, they've been in the same predicament um, in addition to the venues. So also supporting them too. But then even in addition to that, if I'm sure that they're going to be bucked up immensely as well from all kinds of corporate events or people that have been holding off their weddings. So I'm, you know, it'd be very interesting to see the demand in comparison to the availability and how they're going to balance themselves out, especially when it comes towards the fall time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we do know uh, demand is going to go up and availability I'm sure is, is going to be more widely available as, as more spaces are, are opened up to different types of events and different capacities, um, you know, and that's constantly evolving. Uh, I think hopefully in a positive way. I heard EDC just got postponed or canceled because the state of Nevada wasn't quite ready for that event yet. So you know, it's still things are still fluid. But you know, we're, we're hopeful. You know, there's lots of things on track, uh, especially in 2022. So let's hope it stays that way. Me too. And it's interesting. It's like we're all kind of dipping our toes into the pool and just seeing what the ripple effect is, if you will. And sometimes I like to jump in with two feet and just let it go. But in this case scenario, I do very much appreciate that fact that almost as the music industry as a whole, that we're trying, we're taking our time and trying to figure things out and being very aware of the numbers and just making sure that we're not jumping the gun too much here. And going completely the opposite where everybody's just hanging out and it's just like before or even 10 times we're meeting everyone in person. So I I actually do really appreciate that fact that everyone is being respectful and, you know, the major events. I've even heard, um, what was it? I do apologize if I'm incorrect. I think it's Lollapalooza. It's one of the major music festivals. They are requiring that you need to show um, that you're either uh, that you're vaccinated or uh, actually, I think, period. I think there's no choice in the matter. Like you have to prove that you're vaccinated to go in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's going that's appropriate. I think it's, you know, it's just, uh, you know, not to discriminate against those who are uncomfortable about vaccinations. uh, But there's also the health and well-being of those who chose to be vaccinated, who would be more comfortable with others around that they know are vaccinated as well. 
And as consumers, you know, we have private choices. We can be, you know, comfortable sitting in our homes, watching shows or live streams, or we can venture out and be amongst the public, uh, mass or unmass. But if a venue or a festival like Lollapalooza says, you know, you need to show proof of vaccination, then I think that's a very valid uh, requirement uh, on their part. And so I think if people want to participate in that, then then they should show that proof. But if they're not comfortable, then you know, then they have other options, or they don't have to go to a live event, or they can go somewhere else. You know, like um, I don't know a county fair that's featuring you know performers on the stage, which you know, maybe they don't require vaccinations there. Absolutely. And it's more or less not even about the requirements of vaccinations. It's the amount of attention that uh, event organizers are going to towards in regards to um, to health safety in general. And some will decide to require vaccinations. Some won't. Some will require masks. Some won't. Uh, some will require, um, you know, will enforce social distancing. Uh, some will have, uh, you know, hand sanitizer available everywhere. So, It'll be all over the place. And I feel that is actually the thing that I respect is more about the attention to making sure that they're that they're taking whatever necessary steps that they feel for running that particular event. Sure. Yeah, no, exactly. Because you have different layers. You have the the government federal levels of what, say, the CDC suggests. Mm -hmm. You have state levels, which vary. And then you have the private sector event organizers, producers, retail stores, you know, airlines, hotels. And so there's going to be many layers. So I think the the best thing is, you know, if you want to partake in as much activity as possible, the, the best approach is to get vaccinated and to bring your mask in case you need to use it or if you're most comfortable having it on, you know, and, and not to have that stigma from others, you know, question if you're wearing a mask or or why you didn't or didn't get vaccinated. It's like, you know, we all have choices. You know, if we don't want to get vaccinated or don't want to wear masks, there, there are options too, but the risk is higher. But if we do the opposite and are vaccinated and wear masks, then I think we have more options available to socializing again. As an event organizer, do you feel that, let's say, fast forward about three, four, five years from now, that event planning is going to now... Now, uh, health uh, health and safety, of course, is always a, a part of event planning. But do you feel like that there's going to be more uh, of, a, of a health and safety plan than even before because of the pandemic moving, let's say, three to five years down the line? Or do you feel like it will kind of essentially go back to the way things were before? Do you feel like that there are some things that will fundamentally change when it comes to events? Yeah, you know, I think there will be changes, you know, as because there will be virtual components of events, you know, for people who may not want to go there in person or spend the money, but they still want the experience of the event. Um, and also the variables are, you know, what other health issues are out there. You know, if there's variants, if there's new viruses and new threats, or do we have it pretty much under control, like say the the, the flu, you know, where we, you get a annual shot or booster each year and you feel you're comfortable, but it's also depends on who you are and your 
health conditions in your household. Because if you're living alone and healthy, that's one thing. But if you're, you have pre-existing conditions, you're living with uh, vulnerable elders or other people, or a partner that has a heart condition, you know, or a breathing condition, then your comfort zone uh, is going to be different. Um, so I think it's, I think uh, as an event planner, you just have to, you know, plan as, as much as possible for the audience you're targeting. So if you're targeting a, targeting a more carefree younger audience, then maybe you can take less precautions like at EDC, not saying they have no precautions, but that crowd probably will be more prone to party, you know, than say if you had a gathering of people who, yeah, who may be less comfortable um, with, you know, getting sick or so on. So you have to know your audience, you have to know kind of who you're targeting uh, and their comfort zone, and then kind of figure from there. And just also be very aware of what's happening in the world you know, with, you know, and where your event is and who you're attracting. Absolutely. So instead of now going forward in time, we're going to now go backwards in time. And we're going to go way backwards before you got even involved in the music industry because you started off in a completely different field. Sure. You started off in political science, uh, excuse me, political, political science and international affairs so, uh, and relations. Can you talk more about that? Like, was that something that you always wanted to get into? Yeah, I would say that was definitely my first career. And it's <clears throat> and it's not something that I've completely given up. In fact, in some ways, it's my worlds have connected more than ever over time. But for the first, I would say, easily 10, 15 years of my professional life, that was definitely my focus, uh, was international relations, you know, I had dreams of being a diplomat, so I interned with the State Department in Washington, D.C., as well as overseas in the U.S. Embassy in, in Laos. And then I focused on that when I did a Fulbright Fellowship in Singapore, and then when I studied in uh, Boston and Geneva, it was purely sort of international affairs. Um, and I worked in that space for a long time, and I still teach that at the college level. In fact, I just finished last week a semester with 80 students, and a lot of their focus was on international business. <laughs> so, so I'm not completely divorced from that field. In fact, I feel it actually connects with what I do now, because over time, you know, you just you you know the different things you do throughout your life, you you find a way to apply, um, and so yeah, so that was, and you know, and still is to an extent kind of what I do is I'm, um, I would say it's, it's having an international mindset uh, about whatever it is, business, art, um, travel, culture, and so on. So that's just always been a part of me because I'm multicultural. I was born in Vietnam. I came when I was young. And then I spent in a lot of time working in Asia and abroad. So that's always going to be a part of me, you know, in, in fact, a lot of who we work with are international artists. And so that's no surprise because I'm very comfortable working with artists from Europe, from Latin America, from India, Vietnam, or, or wherever it may be. So then 
So that's amazing, by the way. Uh, so what made you then decide to switch careers into the music industry? I mean, you had this goal of being a diplomat and done a th- you know, were going down that path for a long time. What made you decide to shift gears into a completely different industry? I think part of it was just, you know, the other part of me, which was a passion, is the creative space and music. But I really didn't tap into that when I was working in, say, Washington, D.C. and Geneva. In fact, that's seen more as a hobby than as a, you know, as a vocation or something. <laughs> you know, so, so part of me was like, you know, I, I do have this passion. I, I would like to tap into it somehow. Um, and that's when I pivoted as I moved back to California, which is where I'm from, um, and said, you know, if I don't tap into this, I'll probably regret it for the rest of my life where, you know, I'll probably still have an interesting life, but maybe I'll be like, you know, what if, you know, what if, what if I didn't, what if I had never tried that? (laughs) Or will I look back, you know, when I'm 50 or 70 and say, wow, you know, it's too late now. I never did tap into that. And so in my mid thirties, that's when I moved back to California gradually, because I was still going back and forth between LA and Washington for a couple of years and said, you know, I'm going to kind of take classes in songwriting and learn the industry. So I did that at night during my day job. And then in 2009, I said, you know what, I'm just going to really pivot. You know, there's this global financial crisis happening, you know, in times of chaos. And this is a good time to pivot. You know, you just, you've got to get out of your comfort zone. And so that's when I switched to being independent and consulting and then trying music uh, more seriously. Uh, and that's when Planet LA was born out of that. So did you, uh, uh, in the music industry, of course, there's so many directions that you go to. What made you decide to specifically start a record label? Was there a specific moment in time that you decided that that's what I want to create? I would say it happened very organically. Uh, one of the classes I took um, at UCL Extension in the evening was uh, with a producer named Jeff Weber, who is very accomplished in his space, uh, especially in the jazz music space. Uh, and he told us in class, he said, you know, all of you could do whatever you want. You know, like if you create it, things will happen. So you can literally start a record label next week and then just call yourself a label and put out your own music or other artists that you love and want to produce and release. Um, and so a couple of us in class, including my co-writer and others were like, Hey, that's a good idea. You know, we want to put out some music, you know, why wait for the opportunity and why approach the indies and the majors and sort of say, please release our music or sign us. Why, why not just do it ourselves? And so, so we released uh, our first album under my project called When Planets Align. And so keeping with the planetary theme, we said, let's just call our label Planet Alley Records because it sort of makes sense. And so that's how it started. And then a couple people sort of joined in the effort and said, okay, let's kind of do stuff, you know, and, and that's how things started is we started doing things um, with my band project, as well as um, one of the first projects we did, it was the, a, a punk rock girl trio from Tokyo was coming on tour from Tokyo to, to South by Southwest. So 
one of the girls we knew who was from Japan, she reached out and she said, well, can Planet LA kind of book their tour to Austin and then do that? And we're like, okay, I guess so. Why not? <laughs> you know, like, and so that was like one of our very first things we did. Um, and then, then that's how we ended up doing South by Southwest for the last 10 years, except last year, is we just started doing things. Um, and that was actually one of our very first events was that tour of a Japanese punk rock band to Austin. And ever since then, you know, things have just sort of evolved from there with partnerships with brands and artists and events and causes. But yeah, that's how it kind of started is we just said, why not just create something? Even though I, I don't think we fully knew what we were doing, but we sort of said, you know, we know enough to do the basics of setting up a company and getting people interested and then pursuing some projects. That's incredible. It's funny too, because right around that same time as when E20 Records was formed, we formed in 2008, right around the same time. And same thing, we didn't know really how to run a record label. We understood how to form the basics of a business and get something started, but didn't really have any prior experience to that before starting A20 Records. So I'm sure we've both learned the hard way a lot sure. during the process because of that reason. So is there a particular lesson that you learned very early on in starting Planet LA Records? Yeah, definitely. There's many stories I'm sure you have and I have. <laughs> of There's this expression that says like you take two steps forward, but one step back, and that's part of your learning experience. Oh, yes, very but, much so. Yeah, because it's not going to be smooth sailing uh, even though you have the best intentions and you put a lot of passion and effort into things um, you know certainly I look back and I said wow why did I do that or why couldn't we do that better or, or you know many sort of things I don't say they're regrets but they're sort of oh if we learned or knew better but by going through those experiences uh, we did learn how to navigate some of these issues better uh, because that's what that's how you build credibility is by doing things implementing things you know really creating things and especially in the creative industry it's it's all about creation and ideas so you can't just sit around and say oh yeah we should do this and that and wouldn't that be a great idea it's like okay that's the idea so how do we make it happen and make it a reality you know that's how songs and film and art is born. And so, so I took that approach because I came from the business world um, and said, okay, how do we apply some of these lessons to sort of enhance what, you know, the music and the art or, or you know, raise awareness and so on. So I took the branding approach. Uh, but I would say, yeah, there are lots of examples of you know, probably one thing I would never do again is I probably will never tour with an artist again. <laughs> okay, there's a story here. Yeah. Can you divulge a little bit on this story? Oh, well, I would say there's many stories, but I think I learned my lesson that, you know, artist tours are wonderful, but it's best not to be part of that. You know, it, yeah, I'm, I think I'm happy to maybe help plan or help, you know, which I have tons of respect for booking agents and managers. Uh, it's such a a lot of work um, and for everybody involved, you know, for them arranging the shows and the logistics to the artist and the crew and everyone involved, like everybody. And that's how I came across some of your 
you know, some of the people you work with, like Gabe Kubanda was through some of these tours to South by Southwest and, you know, many different places, you know, because a number of our bands played in Phoenix and Tucson and, you know, Flagstaff and, you know, across the Southwest. And I was there for a number of those shows, which was exciting because it was great music. But the behind the scenes was really challenging. <laughs> so, so, yeah, there's lots of stories like where it's. Um, but I think one lesson I learned is artists are extraordinarily passionate, but they're not necessarily aligned to like the structure of, oh, we have to be here at a certain time, or we should focus on this, or we should get rest, and or we shouldn't party too hard in Vegas because we have eight or 10 more shows left in the next week. <laughs> and so that was like a early lesson is we ended up in Vegas. I knew some of the folks at the Palms Casino. So they booked our artists, three of our bands from like 12 to two. And we're like, fantastic, we'll take it. <laughs> But, it, but then they invited all their friends from LA to come hang out with, I think it was like a Friday night. It was the very first stop of our South by Southwest tour. So we had like maybe a dozen more shows after that from there to Texas. But the first night in Vegas, I think it felt like everyone burned themselves out because it was like nonstop partying and rock and roll. And then the next morning at breakfast, I saw the bands and I'm like, did you sleep at all? You're in the same clothes. And they're like, no, party on. I was like, we've got like shows in like this evening in, in Arizona. Are you going to be alive <laughs> for this? <laughs> so, but yeah, it was, I was like, wow, okay. You've got a lot of energy. So that's, but you know, but try to make sure you don't like completely burn yourself out. I have to ask: the, Did they still were they still in their A game in the show in Phoenix the, that night? Yeah. you know, luckily there was a there was a distance between Vegas and Phoenix, so I yeah. think we had a lot of like tired, sleepy uh, rock and rollers on the buses. Uh, so yeah, so they were able to recharge. But it was yeah, it was a challenging tour. It's uh, and we did it a couple times, and after I think the third time, I said, "I'm not coming. I'm not going to be part of the." tour anymore <laughs> like you guys do it I, i'll see you in in texas but but have a good time so. when when you're a hands-on tour manager i like to joke that now you're band dad because you have yeah. to make sure that everyone's taken care of everyone's getting uh, rest and not getting to too much trouble and i never done a full-fledged tour with the band before i think when i first started i wanted to experience at least once and it yeah. never happened nowadays no I like same thing I'm like i'll do the behind <laughs> the scenes i'm not gonna jump on the bus with you or the or several cars or a van and go out that's not happening anymore but but even when i did like a couple of runs where we do either just a, a day run up to vegas or a day run down to tucson things like that it's really funny because again making sure all right is everyone on the van great is everyone taken care of great okay everyone good you know, I, I, I remember you know, not yelling at them, but in Tucson being like, all right, if you're not on the bus in 10 minutes, I'm leaving without you. I'm, I'm tired. I'm going home. So it's really, I, I love the experience. But speaking of uh, Vegas, by the way, to jump real quick, I remember we had a show with one of my bands up in Vegas and we go up there and I don't know why I didn't manage this, this show, but I didn't. So it was 
I think one of the the band leader he would got invited um got an invite to do this show so i was just there along the ride to just make sure everyone's taken care of and he's like i got it and this was a lesson i learned he's like i, I found this perfect hotel it's super uh cheap for all of us to stay at i said cool no problem well we found out that this was this motel was a couple of blocks north of downtown vegas which if you don't know especially at the time was not the best of areas where mm-hmm. Even if you walked on the sidewalk, you have to kind of look around to know where you're at. So we're in this like really shady part of town with literally thousands of dollars worth of <laughs> band equipment. Here, you and, you know, sure enough, during the night, just like trying to keep track of where everyone was, especially after the show. And some people want to hang out and gamble and drink. And some want to go back and coordinating so that making sure that nobody was going back to the motel by themselves and had the key for the place. So, yeah, learn my lesson then that, okay, if I'm going to go on the road, with, you know, go on the road, at any even not on a tour, just a, in general out for an out-of-town show, I'm the one who's going to do the booking because <laughs> I'm not going to let that happen again. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, <clears throat> definitely. And it, it was a good experience. I would say it's good to sort of cut your teeth on the experience, especially since I've never done that before. Having a couple of those tours under my belt, I was like, okay, this is... Now I have so much respect for this creative music community, given like how much work it is. And then they get on stage for like half an hour and that's worth it. It's that exhilaration of, you know, being in front of an audience and just, you know, that emotion. And then, you know, and then doing it again, like the next day. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember speaking of keys and stuff, we had a funny quick story out, out of Tucson, we were, they played like Arizona State near there, and then they had some interviews. And so three bands and a couple buses with Peter Sotos, he was part of that. Um, and we took them out to um, uh, the desert, Saguaro National Park, because it was real pretty out there. And we're like, this is an awesome place for a photo shoot. And so the bands were like excited. They did, they got, you know, they're stuffed for a photo shoot out there and then it got super dark because there's no lights in saguaro national park right and then we're like oh my gosh it's so dark here let's we we better get going because we have to move on to like new mexico or something um and then someone's like where's the key to the bus (laughs) we're like what do you mean where's the key to the bus (laughs) that's like the most important thing we have to have to get ourselves out of here and so there's frantic searching in the dark uh, for like an hour. And then someone's like, oh, I think I left it in my my jeans on the bus. We're like, yeah, go find it. And then like, luckily it was and like he had changed and it was, he had had it. But all we could think of is we're just going to be like in the desert, <laughs> you know, like, because we can't get the bus out of like literally in the desert. Literally in the desert in the middle of the National Park. Good thing the bus was not locked on the way out. Yeah, exactly. Otherwise, it would be really cold and like, you know, coyote bait or something. (laughs) Yeah. No, seriously, out there. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So there's like, that's one of like 100 stories of that sort of came to mind about like the crazy experiences on the road, like you had with the motel in Vegas. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Tons of stories. 
One of the things I did want to talk to you about, Mark, uh, is uh, you mentioned before about uh, the different types of uh, partnerships and endorsements that you've um, obtained over the years, both directly with Planet LA and as well as for your artists. And I know that's something that a lot of artists always want to get into. And you know, to be honest, you do a absolute fantastic job at it i was always extremely that's one of the things of many things i was always impressed with with uh, planet la records was all these incredible relationships that you built over the years with these different uh organizations and companies so is there uh, what are some of your suggestions for uh an it could be a representation or for an artist for reaching out to developing a partnership or endorsement or getting an endorsement deal yeah, I would say, you know, for us, it truly happened organically. It's, you know, it was helpful. I came from the business world and, and also ended up doing an MBA later so I could speak the language of, say, marketing executives and so on. Uh, but I think a lot of it uh, is natural. It's sort of, is it a natural fit between the artist and the brand, given their audiences, given who they are, given their vibe? what they consume, what they use, the car they drive, you know, the clothes they wear. And when it's natural, things happen easier rather than in a forced situation of saying like, do this, you know, do this Instagram post and we'll give you 500 bucks, which, you know, you could do as an influencer artist. But when it's like, I really love this drink or, you know, or these hair products or, or whatever, you know, and were these instruments and mics and guitars and then you're posting about it already and you're like you know this is just part of who i am then things align better and then sometimes people like us get involved to help make that connection or it happens naturally the brand's like hey we noticed you've been posting about you know our drumsticks and that's so cool you know you're you're so happy with this or that and, and then things start sort of happening and brands like when that happens in fact they prefer that to kind of more forced endorsement deals not saying that doesn't happen either you know sometimes that does happen where brands like we need this kind of artist who could be a fit but a lot of times they're like oh we discovered this artist because they're a big fan of our product and you know, they've been posting about it. It's part of their diet or their lifestyle. And then they get an endorsement and whatever that is, free product, sponsorship, uh, promotion. A lot of that evolves over time. Um, that's how we found these situations is we can say, you know, this artist is doing this song or this music video or this tour, and they happen to mention your product. You know, they're drinking your tea or they're wearing, you know, your, le your leather jacket or whatever. And then the brand's like, oh, that's so cool. You know, let's do something. And then that leads to basically a relationship. And that's where it all starts is that opens the door is like you said, relationship, it's relationship building because they have so many options. And so when they get a hundred emails from big and small artists saying, please sponsor me, blah, blah, blah. Most of the times they have to pass. But when they notice something that's like, wow, this is kind of natural, it's organic, it's they're building a relationship with us. And then as things grow, the brand grows, the artist gets bigger, it could lead to other things. 
I heard a lot of that. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the same thing on my end too, and I hundred percent agree with you. It, it, very much so that when it's organic is usually when the relationships happen on both ends. So one thing that I always do with our artists is when they're looking for uh, partnerships and endorsements, usually around the time of Nam, I'll ask these questions, sure. and I'll always uh, ask them. Okay, I want you to develop two lists for me. Mm-hmm. One is a list of companies that you currently use that you love. Sure. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is a list of companies that you don't currently use, but are really interested in learning more about. And I think that's important to have both of those because sometimes they either were not in the market for it or whatever the case is, but they keep on hearing really good things about the company and then trying to form that relationship. So starting off with that at least. And then like you said too, sometimes it happens on the other end where you have the relationship with the company, but you may not necessarily have the artist that uses them yet. And sometimes it's about finding that match where they may not be necessarily aware of the company or necessarily using their products yet, but at the very least introducing them to the company and products and services and seeing if they like them. And if they like it and they really do enjoy their experience with them, then trying to build that relationship between the two of them. So sometimes it can go the other way too, but I do agree with you that at the end of the day, it's you can do forced, but most companies they prefer that the the artist legitimately likes what they're doing and appreciates and believes in what they're doing. Then it becomes much more of a natural fit. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And then it becomes more authentic to their fans and their consumers of their products and their customers because <clears throat> it just feels natural. It's like, oh yeah, this makes so much sense. It's it's not so kind of a forced deal, um, but yeah. And there are so many opportunities because there's so many brands, so many artists that it's just a matter of kind of figuring what could be a good fit. And I really like your approach because it's it it sort of puts it on the artist to say, okay, yeah, this is who I brands I'd like to use, brands I aspire or would like to try out. And then this third bucket of, okay, maybe there's beyond that, there's some brands you don't know that other things could come up to. And um, shows like NAM, which, you know, unfortunately, a lot of that didn't happen this year, are fantastic because you get um, a good mix of the brands there that are showcasing and exhibiting their products and then the artists there. And so these kind of relationships could build over time. And and then NAM is something I attended, I think, 10 years straight uh, until the pandemic, because it was such a valuable time to meet new brands, to connect with current partners and so on, and, the, and to introduce um, some of our artists and partners to each other. So we would do like kind of casual happy hours or hotel parties, which you were part of a number of times where people could, after the show was over, hang out, you know, enjoy some music and not have to pay 10 bucks for a beer or something, you know, and, and just have a casual, like, uh, opportunity to, yeah, to enjoy, uh, meeting new people and building those relationships. And Mark, that's you're, you're downplaying your parties. I gotta say your parties are epic. I'm not, <laughs> not joking. Like it's one of the things I look forward to every single time I go to Nam. I'm like, when's, when is Mark having his party? Because, Okay, so I'm not, not know if I you know, can say that, but the way that you have your parties are usually in a hotel 
and they're usually in like a suite or like dual rooms and literally cram as much people as possible into them to the point that it's like literally it's wall-to-wall people inside this room and it's the most epic amazing party ever because everyone is super nice it's super chill and everyone's having a good time it's not not too rowdy either i mean there's noise because like you know there's music playing and everything like that but it is like is it's the most chill insanity I've ever experienced because everyone's so like so awesome in there and you're just having a good time and just hanging out with people. Yeah. So that's all pre COVID. (laughs) Yeah. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's all pre COVID. Just, just to make sure we We didn't do that that. this year. (laughs) No, (laughs) absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah, But yeah, but you know, hopefully we can get back to the idea of, of connecting like that, but you know, in a safe way where it's not insane partying rowdiness but it's also fun and connecting and meeting new people uh, because from there i always hear of like oh this happened like this artist and that brand did something or or this promoter booked these artists for shows as part of their tour and i still hear that like the other day friends like oh i met that person who's doing like that my polling or my marketing because of that i'm like that's awesome you know that's what it's meant to be for is for things like this to spin off and happen. I think it's important to, to being a connector in this industry, especially is that if you are the, the conduit, if you will, for making other relationships happen and you do a fantastic at that too, Mark, uh, I met so many people, so many friends that I know now through your parties or through people that know, have known you, you are great at, you know, of, making sure that people are introduced to each other and that they form their own relationships too. Yeah. Which I think it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's, that's how things happen is if we can collaborate and support each other, um, then things really happen, you know, and especially in the creative space, it's about collaboration and, and building relationships in your team. You know, some of the best uh, artists I've seen have fantastic teams, of managers, agents, publicists, lawyers, you know, producers, promoters, all collaborating with other artists, you know, because it's it's hard to do this, you know, in in isolation, which is why the pandemic has been challenging because it put us more in isolation physically, but still a lot of people collaborated and you know, there's different platforms like you know, you were you joined us on Clubhouse for our music industry. Um, sort of online chats and stuff where you can still connect with people and and still collaborate. Absolutely. I, I'm curious if you experienced this too, because especially the last year, I found new ways of connecting or let me rephrase it, not necessarily new ways, but ways that weren't as popular before the pandemic. So perfect example, how many people did you know did I will not even say Zoom because Zoom was a Zoom call wasn't even a thing back in 2019, really, of calling it that. But video conferencing in general, right? For me, it was on occasion we do video conferencing, but it was very rare. Where these days, it's almost on a daily basis that I'm at least doing one video call. Yeah, no, exactly. And, And in a way, that's sort of helped us along because it's, you know, it, things happen faster when you can say, let's just do a video meeting and people are like, okay, cool. How about 
tomorrow at three or something where before you'd have to like schedule. It was more scheduled to get a meeting or to get a call uh, where I think now people are used to doing it quicker. And so, yeah, so I think that's still going to be a part of life. I don't think that's necessarily going away anytime soon. You know, there will be conferences again, and there will be business meetings and tours and all of that. Um, but there will still be, you know, let's still do a call on Zoom or or whatever. So, so it's going to be a combination, um, I think, of all of these platforms. I agree, because the way I see it is that a video call or a Zoom call, if you will, is that in-between part where it's more personal than a phone call or especially an email, but not as uh, intimate as in in uh, in person. Where in person is definitely going to always be the best experience you can possibly have communicating with somebody. But I would say the uh, Zoom call is kind of like in that middle point between a phone call and then in person. So I do agree with you that. There are many times where you don't necessarily want to be on the phone with the person, but then again, to schedule time to to meet at a mutually, you know, you know, beneficial location where it works for everybody, like hopefully halfway or something like that, and then finding time in the day to do that, and then to actually travel to that location to meet up with that person and so forth, it does take a lot out of your day. Where, like you said, with a with a video call, that's super simple. You just go ahead and say, "How about this time at you know." on this date and you know see if that works for the other person so i'm finding that doing these kind of meetings happens far more often and then on top of that too is that it's kind of funny because i think more people now are comfortable doing the video calls than they are doing phone calls so if they're not even in your same town and if you want to talk to somebody that's you know across the country for example they're way more comfortable now just doing a video call which is still to me way better than trying to get them on the phone Yo. No, exactly. It's like, and, and I think it's just people are just getting more comfortable, you know, with all these different ways to communicate, you know, phone, video, hopefully in-person meetings again. Um, yeah. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's relationship building and trying to get something accomplished, you know, whatever project or idea you're putting out there. So, yeah. So I think it's going to, you know, hopefully make things more efficient uh, for us moving forward in this sort of new reality. I got to admit too, you mentioned before about Clubhouse. I'm absolutely loving Clubhouse and really trying to understand more about how it works. In fact, we just set up our own Clubhouses, which I'm really excited about. And uh, so a little bit behind of everybody else right now, we're trying to catch up, but I'm you're like you're right the relationship that building off of clubhouse was more than i really or that i realized it really do connect with people on this platform and i'm you know it's it's incredible the people that the new people that i'm getting introduced to because of it and continuing building relationships relationships with people that i already know so i mean what are your i mean you've been using clubhouse for now a little while correct i mean you have your own clubhouse for planet la and you do you speak at a number of different other clubhouses as well? Yeah. So I got into it uh, through my friend, Allison Shaw, who, you know, and mm -hmm. she's very active with a number of these music industry rooms. And then I joined a Wednesday room, which uh, you were a guest and we bring in different guests. Uh, so, yeah. So I try to sort of tune in whenever I can and 
Um, and I have met some really interesting people, new people through that as well. And, and I think that's the thing. It's like, since we didn't have NAM or South by Southwest or these conferences where you can meet people, you know, at a showcase or a reception or an event um, and get their business card or follow up with them. Clubhouse is kind of a quick way to say, oh, who's in this room? Uh, who's speaking and who's listening? And then, you know, then a lot of people ping you afterwards. Uh, so it still provides that chance to connect or reconnect, um, but without leaving your home and, you know, and paying for a conference or a flight or so on. So I think that's why it's become popular and we'll see how it holds up once people start meeting and again, but I, but yeah, I think it's, it's helped us along. Um, Cause at the end of the day, it sort of helped us bring us out of this isolation of what a lot of people were, you know, or being stuck at home or, or not playing or touring. I totally agree. Also, I don't find it necessarily a replacement. I find it more of a supplement and this is what I'm also, and you mentioned before about, uh, having a virtual component even to live events, which I also agree with you too, that I don't feel that it, it may wane a little bit because now you know, more people are going to be meeting in person, but I don't necessarily feel like it's going to go away. In fact, I think we'll may see a, a dip and then I feel like it will go back up again once people have, once people are now integrating it into their lives in conjunction with doing in-person events whether it's conferences or shows so to me personally i find that this is going to be a great supplement where in between the live shows in between the conferences you have the clubhouse chats you have the live streams you have mm -hmm. all these other things that are helping you still engage and communicate with others sure yeah you know and for some people it's easier just to ping someone through a DM on Instagram, because they may be shy about approaching that person in person. Uh, or at a conference, if you get these like high powered speakers, you'll get like 50 people mobbing them after like the Ask App Expo or whatever. And so you may not even have like, or like five seconds with somebody. Where now you're like pinging them, you're like, hey, this is who I am, it's what I'm doing, can we collaborate? You know, happy to have a Zoom chat afterwards. And I think people are more open to that. Um, so that's also, you know, so I agree, it gives people another way to, to access and to build relationships where, or may, they may not have the budget to fly to Midem in France or, you know, or to all these places or to get a, a, a pass at South by Southwest, but they can get on an app and connect with some interesting people and, and still, you know, try to get their music out there or build relationships that way. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. So we talked also quite a bit about events in general. And of course, you have tons of experience in not only going, booking tours and, you know, managing tours, but also just putting on events in general, uh, both, um, you know, showcases as well as uh, events with partners, uh, with sponsors and things like that, too. So from all these years of doing this, what are some of the uh, most common pitfalls that um, people people in general make when it comes uh, to uh, putting on events? Where are some of the most common mistakes that people make when putting on events? Um, yeah, you know, and after a number of years of doing this, you know, I'm, 
I don't know if I have the secret formula to a successful event either, because there's so many variables to an event that are beyond your control. So I guess to answer your question is the common pitfalls are sort of not keeping track of the details because events by their nature have a lot of details. So if you lose track of something like permits or tents or rentals, you know, or security or, you know, or, or making sure you have someone to, you know, make sure the artists and their teams are handled properly because they have all kinds of details of where do I park? Where do I load my, my amps and all that. But if you're trying to juggle all these things and you don't have a appropriate workflow or checklist, you're bound to miss a detail. Uh, just like if you're throwing a big party in Phoenix in the summer and someone forgets to bring the ice and everyone's like, oh my gosh, it's like we have cold, no cold drinks or the beer's warm or we can't make our margaritas now. And, and, and it's like one detail that could ruin the party. Um, so, so a lot of that is just attention to detail and it's a lot of detail because some things you can't control like the weather, you know, is it going to rain or is it going to be sunny or is it going to be hot or cold? So you have to anticipate a lot of those things, but you have to have these plans in place, uh, you know, whatever contingencies. So I think, uh, I think that would be my main recommendation is, you know, be as detail oriented as possible to, so you make sure that you cover as many of your bases so that there's no huge surprise, you know, that comes in like, you know, the police department comes in and closes you down because you didn't get like all the permits in time. And then you could have a thousand people there and fantastic partners and artists. But then if you're shut down, then that's it. <laughs> you know, your reputation is going to, could really be ruined uh, for missing maybe a couple little details uh, that are critical. Um, especially like doing things like at South by Southwest, there's all kinds of permitting and clearances. And if you're an official show or a non-official show, and if, <clears throat> and if you drop the ball on a couple of those things, it could completely change, you know, the course of your event from a good event to an event that's shut down. Absolutely. I like to say uh, spreadsheets and documents are your friends. Yeah. And, and just getting people in place that can help manage that. Whoever that is, it could be yep. your team is, teams definitely help too, because it's so hard if you are the sole event planner to think about everything and all the different contingencies and different requirements. So having somebody else that is there to looking over your shoulder a little bit, or just making sure that you're thinking about all these different aspects is, is essential. I remember uh, speaking of being detail oriented, we had a show, uh, we did a, a showcase at, uh, one of the comic conventions here in town and it was outside in June. Hmm, so <laughs> in Arizona. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, before we started the interview, we we're talking about the heat here. And so we, we made sure that we got as much water bottles as we possibly can filled with ice in the coolers and to give to the musicians and i gotta tell you even then i mean we were working myself and the rest of our team were just constantly giving water bottles to all the musicians before they go on stage and after they got on stage because it was so hot outside and even then we've had 
um, some musicians that were were feeling um, not to the point of heat stroke, but like awfully close to having heat stroke. Um, so we, you know, that's something to, you know, sometimes you don't think about that, but, you know, we knew that it was going to be an extremely hot day. We knew they were going to be in the shade, fortunately, but still, you know, you don't mess with that dry heat um, in the hundred, you know, hundred plus degree weather. So, you know, we try to do ev- everything we possibly can. And there was, we had a green room and that was air conditioned, things like that too. So, and just reminding the musicians of, Hey, go inside, cool off, drink plenty of water, drink water before you go on stage, drink water after you get on stage and just make, and like, if I didn't see a water bottle in their hands, I would go up to them with a ice cold water bottle and just hand it to them. Like not even offering it, just giving them a water bottle saying, drink this. Because again, you want, you have to be this detail oriented because sometimes it is about, you know, the safety of the performers as well as your guests that you have to make sure that everyone's getting taken care of. Yeah. And nowadays we have another layer of safety and health. Yeah, precaution. absolutely. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, it's a event of planners and promoters and producers, event producers. It's, it's a lot of work to pull off a successful event. And, and that's why I, I feel like with any event, you know, I, I tend not to be involved unless I feel comfortable with the parameters, location, the context, the festival, the talent, the partners or the, you know, the fans and people who show up. So once you feel like comfortable, like, okay, I think I can add value and help pull this off, then sure, that makes sense. But if it's too rushed or too challenging a situation, then you don't want to pull off something that's not so great. And then people say, oh, yeah, you know, he was involved with that event and was awful. And, you know, because then it could really impact the next thing you do. Uh, So you just have to, yeah. And it doesn't mean that the next thing you do has to be huge and spectacular or or whatever, it could be an intimate small thing or, or whatever, but just do it well and be mindful of, like you said, the health of the talent and, and the audience and partners involved. And then if it's done well, and if you, even if you have like 20 people, people remember that and say, that was awesome. I had such a great time um, and got to know some great people and enjoyed some great music. So You've been in the industry now for quite some time. When do you feel has been one of your biggest challenges being in the music industry that you've come across? Um, I think that in music, unlike some other industries I've been in, um, the, the pace of evolution is really rapid. I would say music and creativity in general. So you have to really be aware of, you know, trends you know and platforms because it changes very rapidly where other industries things change too because of technology or innovation or or policies or whatever procedures uh but in music it's constantly changing really quickly you know from how music's enjoyed delivered performed um all of all of all of the above and so i think that's been the challenge is is you just have to try to be current and, you know, and, and not just the talent, like, Oh, who's the hottest artist. That's, that's part of, that's the trend of knowing like who to feature, but it's also, how are they performing? How's it being set up? You know, like what platforms are they promoting? 
or how do we market this thing? Um, so I think that um, really sort of are challenges, good and bad, <laughs> you know, challenges that, you know, if you are kind of on top of things, then that helps put on uh, a better event or better experience. Um, so, so I don't know, I, I feel like it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge because it helps you stay current. Absolutely. I totally agree. I mean, it is a constantly evolving. I mean, if anything is, you know, shows that is, is what, how much has changed in the past year when live events was non-existent and not even non-existent. I mean, we had artists that studio recording studios were shut down because they were not comfortable having uh, individuals coming into this recording studio. So a lot of our recordings that our artists were about to, were scheduled and planned to do those fell through and so much has changed. So, you know, learning how to adapt and pivot when a major, major chunk of what propels the music industry forward is all of a sudden shut down, uh, you know, globally. So um, you're right, is that, you know, constantly adapting and changing. And that's what's so exciting about the music industry is that fact is that it always is, is constantly changing and what, what is, you know, what is common practice, what, and what opportunities are about out there too, is also continuously changing. And that's what makes it so exciting. And, you know, I'm sure that when Planet LA Records started is completely different than what it is now. I mean, 820 Records, the same thing is like we, you know, it's very, very different of what originated from. But I feel like, you know, in both of our cases that the, the core philosophies of what, why we started it are, are still there. Yeah, and I, I agree. It's like if you look back 10 years, five years, a year ago, you know, it's there's so much evolution and change um, to to be effective and to be successful at what you do or to try new things. Uh, so totally agree there. Um, and just have to be current, adaptable, flexible, creative, kind of all of the above. Um, that's how I feel with this. And the interesting thing is it's like not every day is the same, you know, in, in this line of work versus others, it's, it's interesting because every day I wake up, I'm like, okay, I think this is what is going to happen today in this space. And then totally new things can happen. I was like, oh, okay. So now we're going to focus on this or do this, or, you know, now it's NFTs. I'm like, okay, so what are NFTs? <laughs> is mm-hmm. that Absolutely. Something that we're looking into as well. I mean, we're constantly looking into different platforms, but, and also different, different, uh, potential revenue streams and just possibilities. I mean, the, even, not even just the, the, uh, the financial aspects of NFTs, but just the practical elements alone can completely change how our, how the music industry works. Yeah, no, exactly. Cause, uh, with that evolution and technology and, and revenue and, and value creation, whether it be for digital currency like Bitcoin or NFT and its application to art or the use of the blockchain, it's, you know, some things, some of these things could be revolutionary and we just don't know where that evolution is, but I'm sure it'll have some impact uh, one way or the other. So it's just kind of being aware of all these platforms and how you leverage them to reach your audience, you know, and, and all these platforms are constantly evolving, you know, from Instagram to TikTok to streaming platforms. It's, 
And I'm sure in another year, there'll be some new hot thing that everyone has to be on that we don't even know about yet. Yeah, absolutely. Now, it's interesting because when when I started A20 Records, when the new thing came out, I was very much jump in and we'll figure it out as we go. Where nowadays I'm more, let me take a step back for a second and kind of sit and see what what other people are doing first and just seeing where things lie and then where that makes sense for us or if it does make sense for us. So it may make us a little bit later to the game, but it's being a little bit more strategic as far as where it fits within what we do. Uh, are you are you more on the side of let's just jump in and just experiment and play with it and see where it goes? Or do you, are you on the side of, I like to sit back for a little while, see what everyone else does first and then come in a little bit later. Um, I think I'm sort of maybe somewhere in between that where I take more of a learning approach. So I guess that is more strategic than impulsive where, you know, sometimes uh, being first to market is great because you're like the first to, do something and everyone's like oh cool you know you're doing this or on this platform but sometimes like you said you know as you're learning from other examples and saying okay that's they did well using this or that you know then that could be a good approach to follow so yeah so you know and being kind of like an educator myself where i'm teaching um i like to sort of share with my students is like you know Look at all the different source materials, you know, from this and that, read about it, learn about it, and then try to apply it in your own way and then see if it sticks, you know, and, and if that works. And so I try to take the same approach. I'm like, okay, let's figure this out and then see if it makes sense and we could try it. And then if it we get lucky, it could really take off and who knows, or else at least we kind of... Uh, go through that process of, of figuring out if it's worth allocating your time, effort, resources, because a lot of this stuff takes time to, to figure out, you know, like, I think we talked about TikTok before, you know, sure, you can just be posting all the time, but some of the best TikTok posts are ones that are kind of teed up and thoughtful, but consistent and well-produced or, or at least, yeah, not just always spontaneous. That's what we're doing on our end. In fact, we haven't posted on TikTok in a year. Um, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we actually now active on TikTok, but we've been for quite some time now, for a couple of months, we've been developing what we want. To, like, all right, it's already at this point in time, you know, trains left on being on in it as an early adopter. So at this point, where is the strategy of how it's going to fit into everything else that we're doing? And what can we post that we feel is going to be valuable, whether it's entertaining or informational, whatever the case is. So we've been developing ideas and actually creating the content. So we now have a, a whole you know, inventory, if you will, of videos that we're going to now release. And not necessarily that everything is going to be scheduled ahead of time. We'll have probably things that will be spontaneous and things like that too. We'll integrate in there, but we always have something that we can put out there. We always have something that we can tap into saying, okay, we should probably post something today. This is a really interesting video. Let's go ahead and post that and have enough of a variety of different types of, of material so that we can test and see what works for us and what doesn't. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And congrats on rolling that out this summer. So, Thank you. 
Sounds Hopefully like- we'll, we'll see, yeah. you know how it goes. Like a lot of these projects are like, okay, we'll be out by next week or a couple of weeks and then three months later. So, um, but yeah, um, no, I totally agree with you. Uh, to shift gears a little bit, one of the other things that um, that is being more visible in the music industry is diversity, which personally I think is a very good thing and a very important thing. So do you have any advice to, uh, to Asians who are looking to get into the music industry, whether they are an artist or just simply looking to get into the music business? Yeah, I think uh, in general, it's uh, this is a good time for diversity of all of all types, um, because you know I think uh, we're in an era where diversity is more um, appreciated, considered um, prominent in terms of how voices are being more expressed in all forms. You know, whether it's racial, Asian, Black, LGBT, or you know, non-binary or or whatever else uh, people identify with as, you know, I think identity has taken on new meaning. Um, and sometimes people think, oh, that's going too far. Everyone's trying to be, you know, undefined <laughs> or they're trying to, you know, be sort of promoting maybe one interest group over another group. And then there's all these labels like, you uh, uh, like BIPOC and others. And some people are like, what's that? You know, like what's the new sort of PC word. Um, but at the end of the day, I think a lot of it is just, you know, people want to be recognized and, ex- and, and express, you know, their perspective, whatever that may be, cultural, religious, demographic, racial. And so, you know, kind of coming from it on my end, I, I feel it's like, you know, be who you are and kind of true to yourself. And then some of that perspective will carry over. Um, it's this, you know, I could choose to just work with Asian American or Asian artists, but my mindset has for decades been global. And so that's how I work with a very diverse range of artists and partners. Cause I, you know, I, you can say, I see, I like all colors of the rainbow where I like, you know, this perspective and that perspective and this music and that. And so even though I'm Asian American, I can still appreciate, you know, all these other perspectives, um, which is just how I've uh, approached things, but others may, you know, want to be more focused. They may want to promote Asian voices or black voices or gay voices or young or older voices or whatever genres or, perspectives they want to promote and that's fantastic too because we need all I think we need all of it (laughs) and so yeah you know and and I'm helping more with some Asian events we're doing another stop AAPI smaller event on June 9th Um, then we're helping the main organization the stop AAPI um, hate organization coalition group with a bigger event on July 20th and so that's mainly promoting API artists, influencers, and allies. Um, but yeah, so that sort of, but it's also a reaction to the growing hate crimes. So it's, uh, we th- we feel this effort hopefully will help educate people on the Asian cultural perspective. That's excellent. And thank you for doing that, Mark. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's always great to talk to you, Mike, and to share stories and war stories. And I'm sure we could go on and on, um, but always happy to collaborate. And hopefully, we'll get to meet again in person, um, maybe this summer, and hopefully at NAM, assuming it returns in, in next year. Absolutely, looking forward to it. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the 8020 show. If you haven't already, please subscribe or follow. If you enjoyed the episode or this podcast overall, please leave us a review or comment on our socials, which you can find us at 8020records on pretty much all platforms. You can also check us out on our website at www.8020records.com. And as always, be happy, be healthy, and be productive.